This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, can Montreal stay alive in the Stanley Cup Final? Tonight, it's Game 1 of the NBA Finals in Phoenix. The Bucks go off on the Braves. The Nats try to snap a four-game losing streak. And could it be, possibly, the Yankees are sellers at the trade deadline? It's very possible. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off the always underappreciated a short work week after a, a three-day weekend. At least it is for me anyway. I don't know about who all worked yesterday. Uh, I did not. We rejoice when we have a Monday off. We've discussed this before. Memorial Day, uh, Labor Day, right? Three-day weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. But then the following short work week gets no love at all. It's always by the three-day weekend. I appreciate the fact that following that up is just, it's four days. Not enough love for the four-day work week following the three-day weekend. Not enough. Or, if it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the four-day work week prior to the three-day weekend. Anyway, I hope your, uh, whether it's a two-day or three-day or four-day weekend, whatever, hope your 4th of July holiday uh, was, was good to you. Hopefully you spent some time with some family and friends. Hopefully you got to see uh, some fireworks. Maybe you set some off. Hopefully you came back with all your digits still in place. We went to, uh, where we go? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Where'd you go? Went to Fort Hill. Sat in a parking lot on uh, Sunday night to watch the fireworks there from uh, Constitution Park. S- great display, by the way. I thought it was awesome. I thought. Look, I'm never uh, too old to enjoy some fireworks, all right? I'm just not. I like a good fireworks show just as much as the next person. But, boy, it seemed long. It seemed, I don't know if they just used the fireworks that were left over from last year because it was canceled last year, because we couldn't gather in big groups last year. Maybe maybe it it was just normal. I don't know. It seemed like it was longer than usual, which I didn't have a problem with. Fireworks or fireworks, I don't care, but it had to be at least a half hour. And I tell you, <laughs> I tell you what was funny, and you know what I'm talking about. If you did take in the uh, Constitution uh, Park Cumberland fireworks, is they did the grand finale, and then they kept on uh, shooting more fireworks off. You know, usually you know. Grand finale goes off, boom, 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 boom. You know, just one after the other, rapid fire. And everybody starts getting up and getting to their going to their cars, and then like one stray firework went up. And everybody's like, "Oh, is that it? 
And then we took a couple more steps of the car. Oh, there goes another one. Like they had a couple left. Like they missed They missed a few sitting in the back somewhere. <laughs> they just decided to get rid of them. It's pretty funny. But anyway, uh, it was a good show uh, put on uh, nonetheless. All right. Uh, several ways to get involved on the show. As always, hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush. My page at Rush Tony C uh, on Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, as always, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, uh, leave me a message anytime you want. Doesn't really matter. Any time of the day, they're open. Question, comments, opinions, whatever. Rush line is open 301 759 2628. 301 759. 2628, your chance to dial and dance on this Tuesday, Shamal. And of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, where we upload every show every day, uh, minus uh, commercials. We've got some love on Friday. A lot of people very interested in the Rush Friday feature. Uh, Joe Shuda caught up with a former Allegheny High standout, former major leaguer, uh, Aaron Laffey. A lot of love for that interview on Friday. So we uh, say thank you to uh, one and all. Again, just download that uh, Podbean app on your phone or tablet and uh, search WCMD Morning Rush, and it's all right there for you. All right, uh, let's kick off today's show as we do every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! It would help if I had the right page here. That's the weather that comes later. There we go. I had an extra day off. I'm a little bit rusty. Uh, we start with Major League Baseball, where Ben Gamble and the Pirates busted out the whooping sticks against the Braves. He swings and sends one deep out to center field. Heredia runs out of rope. There it goes. Into the bushes at center. Ben Gamble hits a two-run home run right back up the middle. And the Pirates have the lead 2-1. to one. And Freed knew it right away. Gamble sends one out to center and deep. Heredia back. Gone! He's got six RBIs tonight. He just hit his second home run to dead center. And the Pirates are blowing out the Braves 9-1. to one. Joe blocked the call on the Pirates radio network 11-1 to one the final as the Bucks take game one of the three-game set at PNC Park. Uh, ben Gamble, two home runs, a double, career-high six runs batted in. His second career multi-home run game. Aki Brian Hayes had a two-run shot, and Adam Frazier reached base four times. Chase DeYoung battled through five innings to pick up his first win as a Pirate. Let me, let me try it again. Let me try it again. That was a bad read. Let's start over. Chase DeYoung battled through five innings to pick up his first win as a Pirate. And first in the big leagues in three years. That was much better. The 11 runs for the Bucks were more than they scored in the previous seven games combined. They scored a total of 10 runs while going 1-6 and six, uh, during that seven-game stretch. And yet, DeYoung, when I say he battled, he battled. He threw 36 pitches in the first inning alone. And gave up the only run of the game for Atlanta. And you thought, oh boy, here we go. 
because the last time the Pirates played the Braves, uh, the Bucks took the first game in extra innings and then got their doors blown off in the next three. I think Atlanta outscored them by 30 over those three games. So you go last night, uh, you had Acuna Jr. single, and then I think it was Freeman with a double. It's one nothing before you sat down, and you thought, oh, you know, it, you know, this is going to be another, another blowout. It was, but just not the way we thought. The Young got through that first inning, battled through five, and he got the win. Elsewhere, the Nationals kicked off a seven-game West Coast trip last night in San Diego, trying to bounce back after getting swept by the Dodgers over the weekend. And he's one for one with an RBI career against Tim Hill. Oh, my. Left field. See you later. And he's two for two against Tim Hill. Nets back on top. Bell, 12th of the year. Second RBI tonight. And he's three for four. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet. Bob Carpenter, the call right there. Uh, Josh Bell broke a 5-5 tie with that homer in the seventh. And the Nats went on to beat the Padres 7-5 to a snap. A four-game losing streak. Bell and Alcides Escobar each had three hits. Trey Turner, a solo home run in his return to the Nats lineup. He had missed the last four games with a jammed left middle finger. One Padres note, Fernando Tatis Jr. homered to become the fastest player, 22 years of age or younger, to hit 27 homers in a season, uh, doing it in 68 games. And the Orioles were off on Monday. They will kick off a three-game series against the Blue Jays tonight at Camden Yards. A Steven Matz will get the start for Toronto. He will go opposite the ever-popular undecided for Baltimore. In college football, West Virginia landed its second four-star recruit in as many days on Monday, getting a verbal commitment from running back Justin Williams out of Georgia. As a junior last season at the East Paulding High School, Williams ran for 1,477 yards and scored 19 touchdowns. Williams also had power five offers from Arkansas, Pitt, Michigan State, USC, and Tennessee, among others. Now, Williams' commitment came a day after four-star cornerback Jacoby Spells out of South Florida gave his verbal commitment to the Mountaineers. He had offers from Florida, Georgia, LSU, Penn State, and Texas A&M, to name a few. So two a big, big-time gets for the Mountaineers over the last two days. And you throw in the kid from Arizona, uh, the quarterback. Was it Marischal's his name? That's three four-star recruits for the Mountaineers in like the last week and a half. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by uh, the Caporale Group. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a little, <clears throat> little throat in my frog. This is what happens when I'm off for a couple of days. The voice takes a while for the voice to come back. I also saw over the weekend, in case you miss it, in uh, speaking of West Virginia, some basketball news. Uh, Deuce McBride not coming back. He entered his name into the NBA draft and announced, I think it was on the third, that he is going to stay in the NBA draft. Apparently he got enough good information, got enough good feedback that he is going to stay and take his chances in the NBA. The other kid uh, 
Boy, I can't remember his name, though. That's a shame. Having a senior moment, McNeil, right? Sean McNeil? Yeah. He is coming back. He also entered his name into the NBA draft. Didn't hire an agent, which, of course, meant he can come back if he wanted to. So McNeil got some feedback. Apparently, uh, either he didn't like it or got some advice to say, hey, you know, go back to school one more year. So good news, bad news for the Mountaineer basketball program. They get McNeil back, but they lose McBride. That's a huge blow. For them. I mean, it's good because McNeil's a sharp shooter, a dead-eye shooter. If they had lost both, that would have been, ooh, that would have been brutal. But they at least get one back. McBride is a better of the two players, which is why he's staying in the NBA draft. But that's a big blow. McBride made a lot of things happen last year. A lot of things happened. So, we'll see. One out of two is better than none out of two, I suppose. Ah, so big win for the Pirates last night. Again, uh, they come few and far few and far between, so you take it whenever you can get it. Gamble, huge game. The new guy, Nagowski. The big Nagowski. The cat they got from uh, the Cardinals in a trade, a very under-the-radar trade. Guy was hitting like 091 this season. He's bounced around a lot. I think he started with, uh, was it Tampa or Seattle? Got cut. Spent some time in the independent league. Cardinals picked him up. I mean, he's all over the place. He gets his first start for the Bucs last night. He gets a walk, two singles. Good game for him. Nagowski. Gamble goes off. Key Brian Hayes, home run. Frazier, just another Adam Frazier day, man. Just another Adam Frazier day, four times on base. Brian, Re- Oh, speaking of Brian Reynolds, uh, congrats to him for being named to his very first All-Star game over the weekend. Uh, he made the National League roster as a reserve, as did the Nationals' uh, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, and who was the third one? Who am I missing? I'm telling you, my mind is not right today. I can't. There was, I know there was three of them. There was three of them. I guarantee you that. I can't remember the third one. It wasn't Josh Bell, was it? No. I don't think it was. I know it was Soto. I know it was Turner. Oh, uh, Schwarber. That's right. Schwarber. There you go. So congrats to all those uh, gentlemen for making the All-Star game on the National League roster. All right, so let's uh, let's go. We're going to go to break. Now nah, we'll go right now. Let's go to hockey. All right, let's go hockey here. Let's go some pucks right here on a Tuesday morning. Game four of the Stanley Cup final last night in Montreal. The Canadiens needing a win over the Lightning to stay alive and force a game five back in Tampa tomorrow. Heading in to last night's game four, the Canadiens had not only not won a game in the series, they never even had a lead. In the series, more than 195 minutes of either trailing or being tied. That's before Josh Anderson, remember that name, got Montreal on the board first in the first. Suzuki drops at Caulfield, gave it back. Suzuki waits a sprawling Tampa Bay. Perrin is there, and Anderson shoots and scores. 
Johnson finally gives the Canadians their first lead of the series. It's one of The call on TSN 690, Anderson giving Montreal its first lead of the Stanley Cup final at 15:39 of the first period. It would stay 1-0 until late in the second when Barclay Goodrow uh, tied it up for Tampa Bay. Then the rookie defenseman Alexander Romanov gave Montreal the lead back with his first goal of the postseason with about 12 minutes left to play. But they could not hold on to the lead once again. Cover your ears. Hide the women and children. It's Michigan time. Matthew Joseph into the offensive zone Shoot right it, circle. Kids. Let's go, Maroon! Score! Ben Maroon! Ben Maroon! And this game is tied up 2-2 with 6-12 left. What a play by Joseph. <laughs> Dave Michigan the goal on WFLA. Pat Maroon, his second goal of the playoffs, tied the game at 2 and things got really dicey for the Canadians late in the period. Their captain, their best defenseman, Shea Weber, got a four-minute double minor when he got his stick up in the facial region of Andres Palat, drew some blood, which, of course, meant the double minor. Four-minute penalty with 101 left in regulation. I'm thinking at that point, this game, this series is over. Even though Tampa Bay, to that point, had been 0 for 4 on the power play. But killing off four minutes, I'm thinking it's going to be too much for Montreal to handle. Too much. Like the Lightning, a chance to end the series right then and there. As powerful as that power play is for Tampa, I'm like, ah, this is, if it's not going to end in regulation, it's going to end in overtime. But the Canadians killed the first 101 which, of course, allowed them to get back to the locker room, regroup, and they come back out and they kill the remaining three minutes of that power play. And then, just 58 seconds later, I told you to remember the name, there's that Anderson guy again. Anderson's able to get it out, and he'll turn the corner on Ruta. He's got a man in front. Ruta gets back. Chance by Caulfield. Anderson scores! Josh Anderson, his second goal of the game, gave Montreal a 3-2 win and a chance to play at least one more game. The Canadiens became the first team to score in overtime to avoid being swept in a cup final since the Bruins did it against Montreal way back in 1946. The Canadiens also avoided becoming the first team to avoid getting swept Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Wait a minute. Also avoided, I have too many avoids in here. Does this make any sense? Montreal also avoided becoming the first team to get swept in. I have too many avoids in here. (laughs) Ah, it's my Monday. It's Tuesday, but it's my Monday. Let me try it again here. The Canadians also avoided becoming the first team to get swept in a cup final since the Red Wings took out the Capitals in four games in 1998. 
with more on last night's game. Uh, two guys who could talk about it much better than I can, apparently. Steve Levy and Barry Melrose. To me, this was the best game of the final so yeah. far. A final that really lacked in drama, had all sorts of drama here tonight. All sorts of drama. You got guys being uh, brought into the lineup. Ramonov Ramon uh, came out and played. And then you've got the line changes that they made yep. uh, with Anderson going up with Suzuki. They get two goals in this game. Suzuki was great. Uh, so, uh, you know, the guys were much more aggressive for uh, Montreal. Second period, they were physical. They were doing all the banging. They were doing all the crashing. They were uh, the stuff at the end of the whistle where uh, everybody's in there pushing and charging and face washes and all that, yep. showing a little bit of emotion. I like to see that out of Montreal also. Montreal just looked like a team that didn't want to lose, a team that was going to pay a price and do whatever they had to do to win. And really, if they'd have done that a little bit more often, they maybe weren't in this situation. I mean, this is remarkable. This is, you know, maybe a minute after the power play had expired. And that's the, that's the key to the hockey game, Barry. You, you touched on it. Tampa Bay came in with a power play, one of the best in Stanley Cup playoff history. And Montreal, not only are killing off a four-minute penalty, but they're doing so without their best penalty killer and their captain in Shea Weber. You had to figure Montreal gets the opportunity. And even with that, shorthanded Tampa Bay had a great opportunity. I mean, Montreal had the opportunity yep. to win it there, and then a minute later they scored the goal. I, like I said, I liked everything that Montreal did tonight. I liked the line changes, that line uh, which was the most dangerous line anyways, became much more difficult to play against with Anderson's speed. He was taking it to the net all night long, uh, getting chances to score. He could easily have three or four goals in this yep. game. So, And again, defensively, rocks all back there. Weber, I thought, had a good game. Uh, not, a, not a ton of breakdowns, not a ton of turnovers, but the ones he did came back to haunt them. But uh, I mean, goaltending, Carey Price gave his team a chance to win. Yep. made three or four saves in the third period before they won in overtime. That's what he does. He, that's what great goaltenders do. And Vasilevsky has been doing that for Tampa Bay all playoffs long. Show the people, Barr, how much uh, doubt has crept into the minds. Now. There's a little, little, a little doubt in the Lightning? A lot of doubt? This, nah, this opens doubt. the door, right? Little doubt. Little they'll, doubt. they'll have a good talk. You little saw uh, Coach uh, Cooper will go to the dressing room. Yeah. And, and they've been in a situation before where they were up and they lost a the game to let the team sneak in a little bit. But yeah. you've you got to give your opposition some credit. Some, th these guys are NHL players. These are the best players in the world. They have a lot of pride. They don't want to go out four straight. That's why they play so hard in this situation, why they played so hard tonight. They did not want to lose this game, especially in front of their home fans. Right. Now, maybe going back to Tampa, we'll see what happens. But they did not want to lose in four straight. Uh, you heard him mention Carey Price. He made 32 saves for the Canadiens, who won the game despite only getting 21 shots on goal. Montreal now 4-0. Uh, when facing elimination this postseason, they're the third straight team to win game four of the Stanley Cup final when faced with being swept. Tampa Bay, as good as they've been this post, well, actually the last couple postseasons, 0-4 in overtime this postseason, 0-4. And 0-5 when the other team scores first. Which, as we talked about earlier, this last night was the first time the Canadians even had a lead. So that was the first time that happened. They scored first uh, this series. Now, good news for Montreal. They stay alive to force a game five back in Tampa tomorrow. The bad news, the Lightning are 13-0 and over the last two postseasons when coming off a loss. So nobody bounces back better in the playoffs than Tampa Bay. And it almost seems 
I shouldn't say fitting, that this game goes back to Tampa. Because the Canadian government would not let Tampa Bay bring anybody across the border. Like, no family of the Lightning, nobody. This The team and that was it. So if Tampa would have won last night, they would have had to celebrate just by themselves and nobody else. And I, I, I think that's garbage. I think it was wrong. And I, I hope Tampa wins tomorrow so they can win and celebrate with the people they're supposed to celebrate with. I think the fact that the Lightning's family, was they were not allowed to make the trip, was bunk. And shame on the Canadian government for doing it. So it almost seems like, obviously you want to win and put the series away. You don't want to give any team any chance, any sliver of hope, any signs of life. But it almost seems right that Tampa lost last night. So they can finish the deal tomorrow in Tampa and celebrate in front of their fans with their family the way it should be. I'm not saying they lost. I'm not saying they lost on purpose last night. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it might not be the. They're going to win the series. There's no way. I'll sit. I'll sit right here and I'll say it. Six twenty-eight on a Tuesday morning, July sixth. There's no way Montreal's winning four straight games to beat the Lightning. No way. No how. It's not a matter of if, but when Tampa wins this series. It's going to be over. Tampa's going to win. They're too good. So hopefully they still do tomorrow in Tampa and celebrate uh, the way it should be celebrated. All right. So while the Lightning and the Habs move to game five of their series, the Bucks and Suns will play game one of the NBA Finals tonight in Phoenix. And we'll preview that series, that game one, when we come back. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the morning rush. What's the next? Is it Labor Day? Is that that's September, right? I always get those Memorial Days first, right? Then Labor Day, I think. That's the next uh, holiday, I suppose. We actually, we actually started uh, basketball yesterday. The uh, three-week open period began in West Virginia. Usually, it starts in June. But because of the weird, funky schedule this past school year, it's in July. So where teams can get together and, you know, work out legally. And we had practice yesterday. And it just it 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 blew my mind. It seemed like the season never ended. Coach called on Sunday and was like, hey, reminder, you know, we talked a bit about you know, workouts yesterday, and I was just like, wow, already? I mean, the season ended in April. <laughs> a couple of months goes by, and we're back at it again. Even a couple couple of uh, players are like, wow, it just seems like it's picked up where you left off. Not used to, Usually the break is longer than this. It seems like it anyway. Always, always good uh, to get back on the court, always. 
Uh, speaking of getting back on the court, tonight, <clears throat> Bucks and Suns will play game one of the NBA Finals in Phoenix. Uh, Bucks are looking for their first NBA title in 50 years. The Suns looking for their first title ever. Big storyline heading into this one is the health of Giannis. Still dealing with uh, the knee injury he suffered in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals against Atlanta. With more on the Giannis situation, here is ESPN's Malika Andrews. Mike Budenholzer said that Giannis Attentacumpo was able to get on the court for another basketball workout on Monday, but he declined to say exactly what Giannis was able to do, leaving it at just he is making progress. But he's officially listed as doubtful for Game 1 of the NBA Finals, and so without him, the Bucks are going to need to continue to try to win by committee, as Chris Middleton detailed. When Giannis is out there, a lot of times we could just give him the ball and let him go to work and, you know, let him uh, orchestrate a lot of things out there. Without him, um, we have to do it by committee. But, you know, I think guys have done a great job of adjusting um, with, them out, with him not out there uh, in, you know, two of the most important games of our season. You can't replace the player of the caliber of Giannis. It's even more impressive what he does and what he's done since he's been injured, um, continuing to be vocal, if not even more vocal, uh, pulling players aside individually, uh, addressing the team collectively, making sure he's still present and more than um, a big part of what we're doing, uh, has instilled confidence in both individual players as well as the team in general. Now, ultimately, the decision of whether or not Giannis Attentacumpo plays is going to be a collective one. It comes down to what Mike Budenholzer said, General Manager John Horst says, Giannis himself as well as the medical staff. But if he is unable to go, the Bucks are going to continue to rely on Chris Middleton. As Drew Holiday said, we rode his shoulders all the way to these finals, and they may need to, if Giannis is unable to play, continue to ride those a little bit longer. So... Giannis listed as doubtful, which doesn't mean he's out for sure, but it certainly doesn't look good, at least for game one. And you have to think, you get seven games to win the series, right? If it'll help holding him out, the obviously you want him on the floor for every game. But it's it's only the first game of the series. It's not like it's a must-win game six, game seven. So if it'll help to give him a couple extra days, then maybe you give it to him. You don't want to force him back in the first game and then lose him for the rest of the series. That's something that the Bucks and, and Boldenhoser have to take in consideration. If he does indeed miss tonight's game, and perhaps more, uh, ESPN's Tim Legler on what it will take for the Bucks to win without their MVP. Not sure that even with Giannis, they're going to be able to win this series. But if he's out, what it's going to take? It's going to take, you know, Chris Middleton basically being the best player on the floor. I don't think they can win it if he's not. He would have to up his game even more than he already has, and he's shown that he's capable of doing that in big spots. But carrying that potentially for a whole series, if Giannis doesn't play, uh, that might be too tall of an order. They would also need Brook Lopez to continue to be. Roll back the clock, Brook Lopez, to Brooklyn days when he could go down to the low post and get you 15 or 20 points. They would need big-time defense also out of Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton on Phoenix's guards. And so any way you slice it, that's a very difficult task for the Milwaukee Bucks because Giannis Antetokounmpo, even if he's not the game decider late, he puts you in position with all of the ways that he could dominate a game for the first 45 minutes. So I know Mike Budenholzer would not want to hear the news that Giannis isn't out there. 
Certainly. You say the Bucks would have a difficult path. Some are saying that the Suns have had an easy path to this thing. I disagree, but I'm also from Phoenix. But they beat the Lakers, who had an injured Anthony Davis on their squad. They swept the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Uh, the Clippers were without Kawhi. And then once again, their opponent now may be without one of their best players in Giannis. Will the series be more challenging than those before with a, a team without Giannis than all of those teams without those stars? Well, listen, there's a reason these guys are superstars. To, to try to split hairs and say, you know, which team is going to miss which superstar more of the ones that Phoenix has played, I think that's tough. I look at the Clippers series, though, and I say, look, Kawhi Leonard, the difference he makes is the ball's going to be in his hands in every important possession late in the games. That's not necessarily the case with Giannis. Chris Middleton more and more has gotten that responsibility. So certainly the Bucs will miss Giannis for most of the game. But when you talk about the Suns having to play against a Bucs team that is going to have their two primary ball handlers in late-game situations, I think that might actually make it a little bit more difficult for them in this particular series. So, uh, you know, I want to see both teams obviously at full strength. And any way you slice it, Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to have to make an appearance in this series. And he's going to have to be close to... 100%, I think, for the Milwaukee Bucks to pull this off. I, myself, am picking Phoenix regardless. I just think it's their year. But Giannis is going to have to be out there anywhere from 80, 90, 100% to give the Bucks a realistic chance. Poor Chris Middleton. <laughs> All the pressure in the world. Everybody's looking to Chris. If Giannis can't go, it's your game, Chris. It's your time. You got to be the best player... You got it. Legs just said it. You got to be the best player on the floor. <laughs> That's no pressure at all in the NBA Finals. But I'm sure, I'm sure Middleton uh, embraces that challenge uh, for sure. And look, Milwaukee proved they could win without Giannis against the Hawks, right? But then again, the Hawks didn't have uh, Trey Young either, so that helped just a little bit. And you heard during that last clip, they ran down the the string of superstars that have been injured and out when the Suns just so happened to be playing against them. Has their path been easier? And should they even have to apologize for it? We'll talk about that next. By the way, they don't. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Giannis being out, uh, just the latest in a string of superstars that have been injured when the Suns just so happen to be the opponent this postseason. In the first round of the West playoffs, it was the Lakers' Anthony Davis who was injured. In that series, LeBron was also banged up. The next round, Phoenix faced the Jazz without Jamal Murray who tore his ACL in the spring. And then in the West Finals, against the Clippers, Suns didn't have to face Kawhi Leonard, who missed the series with a knee issue. And now this series, there's no Giannis to start. And I don't know if criticism is the right word. You can't really criticize the Suns. It's not their fault. But some people have, you know, thought, eh, maybe the Suns have had an easier path than most in, you know, getting to tonight's finals. That maybe they wouldn't even be here 
if it weren't for all the injuries to the other guys they've been playing against. But the Suns' Devin Booker says that they don't have to justify anything to anybody. We're not here to you know justify what we're doing to anybody else, for real. I mean, we've we've had goals for this group and, and aspirations for this group since since day one. And, you know, we keep those in, in home for that reason. And we compete against each other and we're on the constant pursuit to get better every day. And even during the regular season, simple play might go by and we stress it. We stress it. This can't happen. I know it doesn't matter right now, but later down the line, it can come back and get you. And we don't want that to happen. So just the focus for everybody, you know, to be locked in from top to bottom, not just the guys that are getting major minutes right now, you know, one through 15, 16, with the coaching staff, just locked in at all levels, preparing for this opportunity right here. So Booker says it's not about what's going on outside of our locker room, who's hurt and who's not. It's about what we're doing. It's about us, and which it should be. Now, look, if you're a competitor, you want to play everybody's bet. If you're a true competitor, you want the best from everybody. But the Suns aren't going to apologize for anything, and nor should they. You play who's in front of you. It's not their fault guys are getting hurt. It's not their fault that these guys just didn't play against them. And look, nobody's going to feel bad for the Suns if Chris Paul goes down or if Devin Booker goes down. Right? Nobody's going to send them a get-well card. So they shouldn't have to justify or, or – or, you know, think that somehow if they win this series that, you know, their title is tainted. A title is a title, right? And uh, ESPN analyst Nick Friedel says, regardless of who wins this series, that they don't have to apologize for anything. Either Milwaukee or Phoenix are going to win. We're going to view them as the, the champs, and that's it. You don't look back. Whoever wins this won it fair and square and outright given the circumstances. Uh, and uh, the the legacy of what kind of season this was, that can be debated at a later date. Uh, whoever wins this title uh, is going to remember it and should be uh, given all the plaudits that, that come their way. And, uh, you know, we see this sometimes in a lockout short year. We see this when bigger stars go down. That all kind of fades away over time. Whoever wins this is the champs. And they've got to uh, be respected as such. Now, uh, with that being said, can the Bucks win without Giannis? They can't win it without him, but they can win it if he is out there and he is serving as some kind of decoy in situations and giving them whatever he can. They can do that. I believe in this Bucks team. Uh, I thought coming into the postseason that they were in a good spot because they were kind of flying under the radar after everybody always thought, oh, the last couple of years they were going to do it, and they didn't. This is Milwaukee's time. This is their time to do it. And we can go through uh, what happens uh, if Giannis is out there, but he's he's not exactly the same. I mean, the difference, as we all know, is you got Drew Holiday. And this is a team that for several years was banking on Eric Bledsoe <laughs> to get them to the finals, and I, I just never believed that they could do it. They swung for the fences uh, before the year, and they went all in on Holiday, and he has the ability now to really show that not only was that the right move, but he has a, the ability to be the difference maker in a title run. 
So, again, we'll talk about, you know, tonight's game, obviously, a lot uh, during tomorrow morning show. And something that he said there stuck out in the first clip we played that eventually people will forget. People will look back at this season if the Suns win the title and they won't remember all the guys who were hurt. Uh, Some salty people will. But for the most part, they're going to be the NBA champs and that's it. That's it's, Nobody's going to take it away from them. It's not going to change anything. Again, it's not their fault people were getting hurt. You know, we always love to, to place the old asterisk by teams or by players or whatever. You know, how many people question the validity of the Dodgers World Series championship last year after, what, the 60-game season? They're still the champs. They're still the champs. And maybe this year, next year, the year after – We'll still bring up the Dodgers title and say, ah, well, you know, they won it in the pandemic year. They run a 60-game season. As time goes on, that kind of stuff fades away. And the Dodgers will just be remembered as World Series champs. And, and that's it. Again, you know, some salty people will still bring it up, but whatever. So if the Suns win this, this series, win the title... Eventually, all this stuff, oh, well, they didn't play AD, they didn't play Kawhi, that'll go away. And they'll just be NBA champs. All right, uh, hour number two coming up. We'll rock around the region and more NBA talk. Why are all these players getting hurt? Let's come up next. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. From the palatial WCMD studio high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up on the south side of the Queen City, baby. A reminder, uh, several ways to get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word. Also on the Book of Faces at WCMD. Cumberland Radio, all those pages free, open to the public. Like them, follow them. Anytime you feel froggy, take the leap and leave me a message. Anything you want to talk about, got a question, comment, opinion, we will discuss on the air. Also, you can give me a call to discuss on the air. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. Go back and check out anything you may have missed. For instance, last Friday, our Rush Friday feature, my main man, Joe Shuda, talked in length with Aaron Laffey, a former Allegheny High standout Major League pitcher. That interview got a lot lot of love. A lot of love on Friday on the podcast page and on Facebook in, uh, as well. So go back and check that out. And if you missed like the first hour of the show, we talked uh, Stanley Cup final, the Canadiens staying alive in overtime, talking uh, game one of the NBA finals. Uh, by the way, in case you didn't know, I know there's some confusion sometimes. It is the NBA finals and the Stanley Cup final. Okay, just letting you know. I know some folks get that wrong. They get a little bit confused. It's the cup final, the NBA finals with an S. 
Anyway, uh, Bucks and Suns tonight. Giannis listed as doubtful for Milwaukee. And so go back and check out that hour number one. We'll get more into hockey and more NBA stuff here in just a bit. But right now, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with Major League Baseball where Ben Gamble and the Pirates busted out the whooping sticks against the Braves. He swings and sends one deep out to center field. Heredia runs out of rope. There it goes. Into the bushes at center. Ben Gamble hits a two-run home run right back up the middle. And the Pirates have the lead 2-1. to one. And Freed knew it right away. Gamble sends one out to center and deep. Heredia back. Gone! Ben Gamble at it again. He's got six RBIs tonight. He just hit his second home run to dead center. And the Pirates are blowing out the Braves 9-1. to one. Joe blocked the call on the Pirates radio network. 11-1 the final as the Bucks take game one of the three-game set at PNC Park. Uh, Joe mentioned the home run going into the bushes at center field. Just saying, somebody there at PNC Park, somebody needs to trim those bushes, okay? They're a little bit out of control because the bushes, if you've never seen them, they spell out pirates. It's right there behind the center field wall, right below the batter's eye. It's, you know, they got the hedges, the borshes, right? And it just, it's, it's, Cutting to says pirates, but it's just a little bit unkempt. You can't really. I mean, you can still you can still see it says pirates, but it's just it's a little bit frazzled. So somebody at PNC Park cleanos and pushes up. Would you please? Uh, ben Gamble two home runs, a double, a career high six runs batted in his second career multi homer game. Key Brian Hayes had a two run shot. Adam Frazier reached base four times. Chase DeYoung battled through five innings to pick up his first win as a Pirate and his first win in the bigs since uh, in three years. In three years. The 11 runs for the Pirates were more than they scored in the previous seven games combined. They scored 10 runs while going 1-6 and six, uh, during that seven-game stretch. They explode for 11 runs uh, last night. Elsewhere, the Nationals kicked off a seven-game trip out west in San Diego, trying to bounce back after getting swept by the Dodgers over the weekend. And he's one for one with an RBI career against Tim Hill. Oh, my! Left field! See you later! And he's two for two against Tim Hill. Nets back on top. Bell, 12th of the year. Second RBI tonight, and he's three for four. Bob Carpenter, the call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net. Josh Bell broke a 5-5 tie with that homer in the seventh, and the Nats went on to beat the Padres 7-5 to snap a four-game losing streak. Bell and Alcides Escobar each had three hits. Trey Turner, a solo home run in his return to the Nats lineup. He had missed the last four games with a jammed left middle finger. One Padres note, Fernando Tatis Jr. homered to become the fastest player 22 years of age or younger to hit 27 homers in a season, doing it in 68 games. And I got to tell you, uh, schedule makers not doing the Nationals any favors uh, heading down the, uh, the stretch of the first half of the season. 
they have to play, or they played the Dodgers four games in Washington, got swept. Now they got to play out in San Diego. And then, right before the All-Star break, they play at the Giants. Those three teams just happen to be in first, second, and third place in the NLS. All with winning records. So the Nats, murderers row, heading into the All-Star break. Again, they lost those four games to the Dodgers. Uh, At least they get one game out in San Diego last night. The Orioles were off uh, yesterday. They kick off a three-game series against the Blue Jays tonight at Camden. Uh, Steven Matz will get the start for Toronto. He will go opposite the ever-popular undecided for Baltimore. In college football, West Virginia landed its second four-star recruit in as many days on Monday, uh, getting a verbal commitment from running back Justin Williams out of Georgia. As a junior last season at East Paulding High School, Williams ran for 1,477 yards and scored 19 touchdowns. Uh, Williams also had Power 5 offers from Arkansas, Pitt, Michigan State, USC, and Tennessee, among others. Now, Williams' commitment came a day after four-star cornerback Jacoby Spells out of South Florida gave a verbal commitment to the Mountaineers. He had offers from Florida, Georgia, LSU, Penn State, and Texas A&M, to name a few. So two big gets right there, two four-star recruits for the Mountaineers. And you throw in the quarterback from Arizona, Marischal, another four-star. That's three four-star recruits for the Mountaineers in like the last week and a half, two weeks. So somebody getting a job done on the recruiting trail for West Virginia. And in case you missed it, over the, I know it was a busy weekend. People out traveling, running around, partying, whooping it up. That was awful. My voice. There we go. My voice is gone. It's it's seven ten and it's already dusted. I did too much partying over the weekend. Just saying. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, some good news, bad news for the Mountaineer basketball team. The good news: uh, Sean McNeil announcing he is withdrawing his name from the NBA draft and returning to the Mountaineers for his last season. That was good news. Bad news: uh, Deuce McBride is not coming back. He is staying in the NBA draft. So, a little I shouldn't say a little bit. A big blow to the Mountaineers not getting Deuce back. Getting McNeil back softens the blow a bit. McNeil, a dead-eye shooter, he's not nearly the player that Deuce McBride is. Him coming back softens the blow a bit, but that's a big loss for West Virginia, losing uh, Deuce McBride. And you wish him well in the NBA. Apparently, he got some good feedback, some good advice. Is hey, you might want to just stay here in the draft. And it, I don't know. It was easily projected. I think last time I saw late first round, late first, early second. So hey, you got a chance to go to the show. You go, right? So McNeil stays. McBride goes uh, for the Mountaineers. And that is your rock around the region, brought to you uh, by the Caporali Group. I tell you what fun I have today. You know what fun I have when I get out of here? I uh, get to take my cat to the vet because it is time for her to get fixed. 
Not that I will be doing the fixing. That's somebody else's job. But just the thought of having to try to load her into the crate to take her to the vet, it's just, I just, I want to, I want to do it. I don't want to do it. I get stuck doing it because Mrs. C is still at work and I get off early. So I get to be the one to stuff the cat in the crate and probably get scratched and bit to hell. And then I get to be the one to pick her up tomorrow. And then I get to be the one that gets hated by the cat for several days and weeks because I'm the one that dropped her off (laughs) to get fixed. So I got that to look forward to today, which, you know, is nice. What is it now? Is it, uh, I always get them confused. The male and female. The female get gets spayed and the male neutered, right? Is that what it is? It's a female cat, so she's getting spayed. Is that right? I think that's right. And not only that, I had to face the wrath. We have two cats, two black cats, one older, one uh, younger. And because the younger one is getting, you know, the surgery, the procedure, whatever it is today, she couldn't eat or drink anything after midnight. Kind of like when you go in for surgery, people surgery, you can't usually, you can't eat anything after midnight. Cats are the same way. So we had to put up their food and water, get it out of the way, which the big cat doesn't appreciate because she's like, what did I do? You know, what's up with that? So I wake up today, alarm goes off, 3.20, which after a three-day weekend, that's a loud, it's a loud 3.20. And I'm getting attacked in the kitchen. Like, they're following me around everywhere. Like, yo, dude, what's up? Where's my food? Where's the, what's going on here? They're confused. I'm annoyed. Not a good morning. Anyway. Uh, oh, the joys of being a pet owner. All right, so we're talking uh, NBA playoffs last hour. Playoffs last hour. And we were talking and discussing how the Suns, I don't want to call it an easy path to the NBA Finals, but maybe they didn't get as much resistance as they would have if their opponents had been fully healthy. Okay. We we ran down it last hour. First round, Anthony Davis for the Lakers out. LeBron James banged up. Second round against the Jazz, Jamal Murray out. Torn ACL in the spring. In the Western Conference Finals against the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard out with a knee injury. That's a pretty, pretty good list of players. Those are some heavy-duty superstars that the Suns did not have to face on their way to the finals. And again, they're not going to apologize for it, and nor should they. You play who's in front of you. Not their fault people were getting hurt, right? And now they have the NBA Finals tonight, game one, and Giannis is doubtful. And who knows when he'll be back. You hope at some point in the series he'll return, but you never know. So just look at that list. Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard, and now Giannis. You can't say the Suns were ducking those guys. They shouldn't be criticized for it. But if the Suns go on to win the title and Giannis doesn't play a whole lot or he's limited, people are going to say right out of the gate, 
that oh yeah, well Phoenix didn't have to play this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. It, it, it's it's tainted, which is bull. A title is a title, right? And we love we love to assign the asterisks to teams and players, right? We talked about the Dodgers last hour. Dodgers won the World Series in that sixty game shortened season last year. So people were like, oh, well, is it really a true championship? Because only had to play a 60-game regular season. And then Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup last season. Uh, but, but it, yeah, but it was played in the bubble. You know, is it really a true championship? Look, a champion, a title is a title. Right? Anybody who wins one, it's not going to apologize. They're not going to give it back. They're going to say, ah, you know what? Ah, we didn't earn this one because of, of circumstances that were out of our control. And that's the key. That's the key. The Dodgers won the World Series. The Lightning, they won the Cup. The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. All under conditions and circumstances that were out of their control. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. Couldn't help it. They just wanted to play. Suns got nothing to do with these injuries. They're just playing. It's not their fault. Now, there are people who want to place blame. There are people who want uh, to find fault in why all these guys are getting injured. And one of the more vocal has been LeBron James because he's got to cry about something all the time. And he's, you know, at some point a while ago, he was tweeting out that he predicted it was last month when you saw these superstars getting hurt in the playoffs. And he said he predicted it was going to happen because the NBA had the quick turnaround from last season to this season, right? It was a pretty quick turnaround. And they come back to the 62-game season, a compact schedule, and you got guys getting hurt. So a lot of players, a lot of folks, LeBron included, want to blame the NBA for not giving players a proper proper rest, proper recovery time between last season and this season. Chris Paul, who happens to be playing in the NBA Finals right now with the Suns, he also happens to be the president of the National Basketball Players Association. And he was asked, I think it was yesterday or was it Sunday? One of the two days. He was asked about the criticism that the league and the Players Association has been getting for that quick turnaround and whether or not it's affected the health of the superstars. Here was uh, Paul's response. Everything is always a conversation. You know, um, there's a ton of guys on the executive committee who are working hard on things right now as we speak, day in and day out, traveling. Uh, I wish you guys knew all the things that are going on. So decisions that are made as far as playing or not playing, players are always involved in it. You know, injuries are always unfortunate. You know, you hate you hate to have them, but, um, you know, just like when we went to the bubble, everything was discussed as far as the, the, the players and the full body of players. You know, everything that's good for this guy and that guy might not be the same for that, for, for that guy, but everything has always been a conversation and it's going to continue to be that way. So people don't like it, then, you know, everybody got the same opportunity to be a part of all these conversations. So there's CP3 saying, hey, we talked about it. 
It was discussed. We had conversations about it. Just like the bubble last year, if enough players didn't like it, if enough players didn't agree with the quick turnaround, then they wouldn't have done it. Like the players have a voice. They, that's, that's where they have a players association. And Chris Paul saying, hey, we had conversation. We talked about everything. We discuss everything. If you don't like it, speak up more. And it, it goes with any sport, any professional sport, when you go into these you know, collective bargaining agreements and whenever you know, when the league and the players' associations have to meet and negotiate on the new CBAs and what's going to happen in years to come, both sides have to sign off on it. Both, if not, then that's when you get work stoppages, you know, lockouts or, or strikes or whatever. Both sides have to sign off. Both sides have to agree. The quick turnaround for the NBA happened only because both sides agreed to it. Now, you heard Chris Paul say there, what's good for one guy isn't good for another. You're not going to make everybody happy. But apparently, the majority of players didn't have a problem with the turnaround. The quick turnaround, that is. And the question is, if you didn't have all these injuries, would it even be an issue? If you didn't have Kawhi out and Jamal Murray and Anthony Davis and Trey Young last series, although that was a freak accident, right? Trey Young just stepped on an official's foot and turned his ankle. That's not has nothing to do with a turnaround. So the question is, is the quick turnaround responsible for these players getting hurt? Or is it just coincidence? Is it just a string of bad luck for some of the league superstars? Me, personally, my opinion, the quick turnaround has got nothing. It's got nothing to do with the injuries. Nothing. Now, you might want to say that it does. You might want to criticize the league because that's just what, you know, like I said, LeBron James was doing it because LeBron cries about everything. LeBron was actually the vice president of the Players Association at one point uh, from like 2015 to 2019. And Chris Paul said, look, injuries are unfortunate, but they happen. I have a hard time believing I have a very difficult time believing that a bunch of guys who have, for the most part, been playing basketball their entire lives, right? I think it's safe to say that if you're playing in the NBA right now, you've been playing a whole lot of basketball your entire life. Look, I, when I was a kid, and I'm not even anywhere near, obviously, NBA talent. We played all the time. We played all the time, every day, hours and hours and hours. One of my better friends, one of my best friends growing up, Chuck, had a uh, half court in his backyard. And it was like one of the most glorious things I've ever witnessed. And we just spent like any, any waking moment we could down there playing basketball. Even I remember dead of winter. 
No lie, shoveling off ice and snow off his court to play. 10 degrees outside. Hands, you can't dribble with gloves on, so you're out there in your barrack, you know. Hands almost froze. <laughs> Tips of your fingers blue. We played constantly. Point is, if I'm out there balling every day, NBA players doing the same thing. You have been playing ball your entire lives. So I'm supposed to believe that this quick turnaround all of a sudden leads all these injuries? I'm supposed to believe that somebody who's been playing basketball since they were probably old enough to dribble, all of a sudden this quick turnaround is the reason why you're hurt? I can't. Sorry, don't buy it. I don't buy it. For as much basketball these guys have played since they were kids all the way up till now, I, I can't use you can't use a turnaround the quick as an excuse for the injuries. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I just think it's a string of bad luck. I really do. And you can talk about the grind of the NBA season. And you could talk about, you know, all having to play 72 games or 82 games in a season and the workouts and whatnot. But they're probably playing, you're probably playing less basketball now than you did when you were a kid. You're seriously, when you think about it. So I just, I don't agree at all, that this quick turnaround from the NBA, they, they should be faulted for it or criticized for it. It, is, it doesn't fly. And again, you'll have guys like LeBron who they always got to find something uh, to cry about. So they'll bring it up. He'll say, oh, yeah, he predicted these injuries. It's got nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it. What did I see uh, not too long ago that Shaq Shaq said something uh, that killed me. I wish I could remember it. And he was talking about players uh, complaining about uh, the turnaround and, you know, uh, guys getting the time management and the resting. And he, he, he said it was absolutely ridiculous. And he's like, what do we do? We practice for two hours a day. We play for two hours a night. Here it is. See if I can find it here. See if I can pull it up. I hope, is it a video? I hope not. Uh, let's see here. LeBron James talks about the health. Our players, he said he hates to see these many injuries. Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to find Shaq's quote. More LeBron James, crybaby, crybaby, crybaby. All about me. Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm just not going to get it. Here it is. Here it is. Here's Shaq's quotes. When you're living in a world where 40 million people have been laid off and I'm making 200 million bucks, you won't get any complaining from me. I'd play back to back to back to back to back. That that was Shaq's comments about people complaining about the the workload and having you know the quick turnaround. So Shaq to his credit putting it in perspective that you want to sit there and cry, LeBron, about having to play a 72-game season 
after only a couple months off from last season. And Shaq's like, man, there's 40 million people that didn't work last year. And you're crying about playing back-to-back games. And just stop. And he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. All these players crying about load management, compacted schedule. How much money you're making, how much checks you're cashing, playing pro ball. When there's so many people in this country having some real, some real problems. <laughs> Thank you, Shaq, for that. All right, uh, news and weather coming up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, we got Nationals baseball once again. The Nats continue their trip out west. They take on the Padres once again in San Diego. Of course, Nats got the 7-5 win last night. Uh, pre-game tonight at 940. Tomorrow, a first here on uh, WCMD. We got Penmar baseball coming your way. James Lore, Jim Zapp will have the call, the Cumberland Orioles, against the Wheelhouse Arsenal from the fairgrounds. Little Penmar action. Penmar, is it uh, still Penmar? Penmar, West Virginia Baseball League. There you go. We've never had one of those games, have we? At least not since I've been here. It's good stuff. So, Jim and James with the call tomorrow, first pitch at 7.30 from the fairgrounds. The Arsenal versus the Orioles. How about that? And then, uh, starting on Monday, from noon till 3, new program on this very station. As we continue to give you a, a different look, a different feel, a variety of programming here on the show. The Dan Bongino Show will debut on this station uh, Monday the 12th from noon until 3. So a lot of stuff going down here on the all-new WCMD. How about that? Nats baseball tonight, Penmar baseball tomorrow, and then uh, Bongino on Monday. So there you go. Ah, the Jags. Some NFL talk right now. The Jaguars, of course, took uh, Trevor Lawrence's first pick overall in this year's draft, and now they have him under contract. Uh, Lawrence signed his four-year rookie deal yesterday, which, of course, uh, clears the way for him to attend the start of training camp in three weeks. With more on the deal, here's ESPN's uh, Jeremy Fowler. Most significant is no offset language in the deal. Trevor Lawrence won on that front. So if he gets cut after, say, three years, he gets his full four-year guaranteed contract from the Jaguars and gets paid from his new team. He can double dip. Typically, the Jaguars in the past have been okay with taking the offset language out. But this time, given the magnitude of the number one pick, they talked about including it. Lawrence said, that's a no-go for me. So Jacksonville said, instead of dragging this out into training camp and beyond, let's get it done now. Lock up our future. And so Zach Wilson with the Jets is keeping a close eye on this, the number two pick. If the Jets try to include that offset language, he can point to the precedent from his new buddy Lawrence. Now under the NFL's rookie slotting system, uh, Lawrence's deal, about almost 37 mil 
which includes a $24 million signing bonus. Uh, he'll count uh, $6.7 million against the salary cap this season. Contract also includes a fifth-year option, which is attached to uh, every rookie deal, by the way, uh, for first-round picks. Uh, his signing bonus will be paid within 15 days. <laughs> That's a nice little turnaround. $24 million signing bonus. You signed it yesterday. Within 15 days, you got $24 million in the bank. It's not bad. It's not bad. As Fowler mentioned, no offset language. So if he gets cut, he gets, I mean, basically the contract's full guaranteed. Guaranteed in full. Regardless of what happens. If the Jags have to cut Trevor Lawrence in three years, they got bigger issues than paying the rest of his contract. Let's put it that way. I, by the way, do not think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be this NFL superstar. I think he's going to be he's going to be good. I don't think he's going to be as good as, as other people think. I just just my opinion. He had a whole lot of help at Clemson, whole lot of help, help that he's not getting in Jacksonville. Even though Jacksonville did draft his Clemson teammate uh, Travis Etienne, right? A uh, majority of Lawrence's compensation will come in his roster bonuses in 2022, 23, and 24. So there you go. He's locked up. Zach Wilson yet to be locked up uh, by the Jets. Uh, of course, Lawrence expects to be the starter year one. Went 34-2 and two at Clemson. Again, had a lot of help at Clemson. And I think right now they have uh, Jacksonville has six. Is it six, five, or six? Six of their nine uh, draft picks now under contract. Etienne has not signed yet. Then they have two second rounders as well. But the most important thing for the Jags, at least for now, is they got Trevor Lawrence under contract. He'll be there day one training camp. He will be the starter day one training camp. No question about it. I saw over the weekend that uh, Josh Gordon, the receiver, filed for NFL reinstatement. How many chances is this guy going to get? Seriously. How many chances is this guy going to get? He's been, he's been suspended, what, four, five times? Now, there's nothing wrong with him wanting to submit reinstatement for reinstatement. Question is, will the NFL allow it to happen again? He was suspended indefinitely uh, back uh, late 2019 for uh, violations of substance abuse and PEDs. That it was six. Is that what it is? Cheese. Him his sixth suspension. He's like, who was the? Uh, oh, who was the pitcher? I know he pitched for the Yankees for a while. I want to say it was was it How Low? What was his name? He got suspended like eighty four times. Slight exaggeration because he couldn't stay clean. What was his name? Was the Steve Howe? Is that what that his name was? Josh Gordon is like the Steve Howe of the NFL. He's been suspended six times since the twenty thirteen season. 
five of those six suspensions for some form of substance abuse. How do you let, how do you let him back in? Now, again, he wants to file for reinstatement. That's, a, that's his right. But come on. The NFL in no way, shape, or form should let this guy back in the league. Six suspensions in the last eight years? Come on. Anyway, it was Steve Howe, wasn't it? I want to. <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong name and put that kind of label on somebody who didn't deserve it. Oh, by the way, the Cowboys, uh, they're going to be on a hard knocks again. I don't care. Full admission, I've never watched a single episode of Hard Knocks ever. Ever. Just don't care about that kind of stuff. All right, uh, final break. Come back to wrap it up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, to check on the player who delivered... Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Montreal's Mr. Anderson? Anderson's able to get it out, and he'll turn the corner on Ruta. He's got a man in front. Ruta gets back. Chance by Caulfield. Anderson scores! Josh Anderson, the overtime hero, and the Canadians are still alive. The call on TSN 690 about a minute after his team killed off a power play, Josh Anderson scored his second goal of the game less than four minutes into overtime to give the Canadiens a 3-2 win and force a Game 5 back in Tampa Bay tomorrow night. Montreal now 4-0 in elimination games this postseason. With the win, Montreal avoided becoming the first team in 23 years to get swept in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, Last team to do that was the Capitals. They got swept by Detroit back in 1998. So Montreal's Josh Anderson for his game-winning goal in overtime, the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. All-Star break is approaching. About what are you, about a week or so from that? Week and a half, give or take, something like that. Uh the Yankees are, I wouldn't say they're in dire straits, but they have issues. They're about a five hundred team. They're sitting in fourth place in the AL East. Some people are calling for Aaron Boone's job. Some people are calling for the Yankees to make some moves. They can't stand Pat. If they do, they have no chance. At the playoffs. So the question is, will the Yankees be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Here's ESPN's Jeff Passan. This is a 500 team right now. And typically 500 teams in a division with three teams ahead of them, and not just three teams ahead of them, but three clearly better teams than them go out and sell. Here's the problem. Yankees don't have much to sell. 
Aroldis Chapman would be the guy under normal circumstances, but what he's done over the last couple of weeks, who's going to want to pay, you know, the balance of $16 million this year and $16 million next year? Uh, they could move Glaber Torres. Uh, they could move Luke Voigt and shift DJ LeMahieu over to first base or move Gio Urshela and shift LeMahieu over to third. Uh, you know, the nuclear option here, if they really do want to change things up, is considering dealing Aaron Judge. Now, I know that's a difficult thing to hear for Yankees fans, and understandably so. He's clearly their best player. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Yanks unloading Aaron Judge? That would be, first of all, it'd be extremely interesting to see what they would get in return. And David Cohn, former Yankee, among other teams, who is currently an analyst for the Yanks, says if you're going to move a guy like Aaron Judge, you better make sure that what you get in return is going to be worth it. If you do make that kind of move, you better be sure on who you get back in return. And that's the question. There's no guarantees, especially with young players or young prospects. Uh, If you go play a numbers game and say, we're going for quantity, we're going to just reimagine this whole thing, we're going to blow it up, and then we're going to pick all these young prospects, uh, the best deal we can find. Well, you better be sure about it. You better have done your homework. And even with that being said, there's no guarantee that any of those young prospects would work out. And you've just traded the face of your franchise. And, well, you know, one of the big faces in baseball, Aaron Judge's jersey, is in, among the top five in sales ac- across the league in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's an enormously popular player. You better think twice before you decide to make that kind of a move. Now, look, we're used to teams like the Pirates and the Orioles being sellers at the deadline, right? We're used to them giving up their best available players for prospects. I saw a story over the weekend that, the I don't know, it could be a rumor, speculation, call it what you want, that the White Sox were interested in getting Adam Frazier from the Pirates. So we're used to that. We're not used to the Yankees being sellers at the deadline, James checks in and says, uh, moving Judge would be like when they moved uh, Jay Buhner to Seattle. Disastrous. Old, I love Bones Buhner. Love Jay with the Mariners. I can't imagine that going over too well with the Yankees fans if they moved Aaron Judge. I can't imagine. Can't imagine. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But do you want to blow it up? And I think Passon used the great word nuclear. Do you want to just blow the whole thing up over a lost season? Right now, Boston's in first place in the East. Tampa is in second place, four and a half games out. Toronto is in third, nine games out. Yankees are 42 and 41. They're 10 and a half games out of first place in the AL East before heading into the All-Star break. If you move Aaron Judge, you're basically punting on this season and you're going to try to rebuild for the future. I can't see it happening. I, I just, I can't. I can't see, he's got to be the most popular player, right? I, I, I would see Aaron Boone getting fired before they would unload Aaron Judge, right? We'll have to wait and see. Also a break right around the bend. Uh, one quick college basketball note, uh, Aaron Wiggins. For Maryland, not coming back. He is staying in the NBA draft and foregoing the rest of his eligibility. We talked about Deuce McBride with the Mountaineers. 
staying in the NBA draft, Sean McNeil coming back to Morgantown, Aaron Wiggins gone from the Terps. So another big blow for Turge and his group, because remember, Darryl Morsell, he transferred to Marquette. And now we have Aaron Wiggins uh, leaving College Park and staying in the NBA draft. Wiggins, last season in all Big Ten honorable mention, 14 points, six boards a game. So there you go. All right, uh, stick around. Amanda's up next with Tri-State today. I am done. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Be back tomorrow, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.